You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer political podcast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Colin Campbell, Danielle Battaglia, and Will Doran. So we're eight days out as we record this from Super Tuesday, and if you're not hyped already, it's hype time. It's going to be super, super, super. <laughs> and it's Super Tuesday because the primary is North Carolina and a bunch of other states. But of course, we're here in North Carolina, so that's the only thing we want to talk about primarily. So that was not an intentional pun with primarily. Uh, so the reason that'll get Democrats out to the polls anyway is going to be the presidential primary and the latest Massachusetts poll, UMass poll, came out late last week putting Bernie Sanders in the lead, um, which has obviously got the North Carolina Sanders campaign folks excited. His co-chair uh, here for North Carolina is the Durham Mayor Pro Tem, Julian Johnson, who's been a longtime Sanders supporter, named her dog after Bernie Sanders. That's uh, was a fan last election. <laughs> Sandy. I was happy to trot, trot that little tidbit out again. Oh, I see what you did there. So, <laughs> I, I actually did not even all, do that on purpose. Have you been working on puns for this episode? I absolutely did not. Oh, it is just, uh, yeah, not a non intentional pun. So we have, um, and then it's not just Sanders that's gotten endorsements. The Raleigh. Current mayor, former mayor, former mayor before that all um, endorsed Bloomberg. And then we've got a lot of Warren endorsements in the triangle. So um, more endorsements are coming out, of course, with these latest poll numbers and everything. But while on the Democrat side, um, the presidential primaries will get those voters out, there's still a whole bunch of other stuff going on, including U.S. Senate, U.S. House. Will, why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah, the U.S. Senate race has had some intrigue lately. Um, There has been a whole influx of outside spending on behalf of Erica Smith, who is in the Democratic primary. There are are five Democrats who are in the primary, Um, but there's really kind of two of them, Smith and Cal Cunningham, who are largely considered to be the frontrunners. And you saw this just blitz of uh, spending from this kind of you know, shadowy dark money group uh, touting Erica Smith's progressive credentials. Um, And turns out it's actually affiliated with Republicans. And so Mitch McConnell, no less. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's a Mitch McConnell affiliated super PAC and it's dropping tons of money putting out uh, pro Erica Smith ads. And, you know, it kind of looks as if Maybe this group is trying to force, uh, you know, Cal Cunningham to spend a lot more money on the primary. And he and his packs already been. have, right? Like originally, their think their whole game plan was raise a bunch of money and then dump it on Tillis after the primary, and now they're having to dump it on the primary. Exactly, and I mean, Democrats were really excited when it looked like Garland Tucker was going to be mounting a pretty credible challenge to Tillis in the primary, but then obviously he dropped out, and uh, so Tillis hasn't really had to spend any money in his own primary. He does have a primary, but he looks like he'll probably win pretty handily. Um, So, you know, both parties have been, you know, kind of doing what they can to try to make the other side spend money before the general election. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's a good strategy. The Smith ads, to me, are fascinating to watch both the ads. Then I got one of the mailers uh, that this group had put out, apparently using a sketchy UPS store in Jacksonville as their... Uh, return address for some reason uh, but it almost seems like those, they really are plugging the really like liberal end of Erica Smith's credentials so like 
saying she's for the Green New Deal, she's for impeachment of Trump, and she's for, like, Medicare for all. Um, so it, it almost feels like it's, like, Republican. You can tell Republicans are writing these ads of, like, hmm, what do the stereotypical Democrats like? They like the Green New Deal. But at the end of the day, I don't know how many North Carolina Democrats who tend to skew more moderate are excited to learn about someone who likes the Green New Deal versus the way, like, Cal Cunningham would be presenting himself to be more of a centrist candidate. I think it could be less about trying to get Cunningham to spend more money and more that they think Tillis can more easily defeat Smith. Because when Tillis, on his official, you know, filing to run, and he did, like, a few minutes with the press, he mentioned Green New Deals. We didn't ask you about the Green New Deal, but that's what he brings up because he knows that that, again, is that, you know, you bring AOC into this. Um, and what's going to get people to vote for Tillis because they definitely don't want the Democrat versus if it's, um, if Cunningham is more, or they're trying to paint Cunningham to be more moderate, then they think that might pull some voters away. So I almost think that the other party is more excited about primaries than people within a party just because of what they're plotting for after. Oh yeah. The the Republican operatives I follow on Twitter have just been giddy for Bernie Sanders and Erica Smith for weeks now. You know they have nothing politically in common with these people, but that's who they would love to see near the top of the ticket in North Carolina um, in what's, you know, potentially a more moderate state overall. Even talking to them on the state level, I've been confused whose spokesperson is whose because they're talking about other candidates. And I'm like, wait, who am I meeting with right now? This is confusing. Of course, I think it's probably fair to point out that a lot of Democrats were pretty excited about having Donald Trump at the top of the Republican ticket going into 2016. And look how that turned out for him. Yeah, so, so, you you know, know. it's hard to really prognosticate about what the overall electorate will do or how all this will shape out. If you think you know who's going to win and who's unelectable, you're probably not right. (laughs) <laughs> well, it all depends on turnout, right? Yeah. Why is words from Colin? <laughs> <laughs> so who's actually going to vote or is already early voted? Obviously, it's people within political parties. Are unaffiliated people going to vote, you know, and pick a, a you know, a partisan ballot? Yeah, because so that's the other that? thing I wonder about, care? you know, to the extent that the presidential primaries are driving all of the, the coverage and the conversation at this point, how many unaffiliated who may actually tend to vote Republican in the general decide they want to weigh in in the uh, Democratic primary either to, in their mind, maybe sabotage or pick a candidate who think they think is more moderate? Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that do you see? Because honestly, I don't know what drives the Republicans out to the polls. I mean, you know, they're, they do have two other options on the ballot for president, but none of them are going to really take a share mm-hmm. out of Trump. So do you just go because you like Trump and you want to have a show of support for him? Or do you really care about the lieutenant governor race? Are you really interested the governor. in the governor There's race? Governor you know, primary, primary yeah. between Dan Forrest and Holly Grange. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to say because like none of these have been all that high profile. So I don't really know, um, you know, what the driving message is for turnout among uh, particularly Republican voters who will definitely be pulling that Republican I ballot. I think lieutenant governor maybe because... You know, you have to look, what do they want after lieutenant governor? What do they want as lieutenant governor? Um, and it's, you I mean, you've got a pretty crowded field on both sides of the party. Yeah, but then know? does the crowded field sort of make it harder for people to really sit, get through the noise? Like if you had a one-on-one and it was people sparring over, you know, who was more hardline on immigration or something, like that would probably attract people's attention. But when you can't name, like I would probably struggle to name all the lieutenant governor primary candidates. I know, I've written stories right and I have a hard time because of how many there are so like, them. Yeah, I mean, but it's who almost, you know. You know. Yeah. And we're almost certainly going to have a runoff for that. So yeah. probably a lot of it is just, you know, 
their their pockets of the base trying to get out and make sure that their candidate at least makes it to the runoff. You know, I mean, for the mm-hmm. lieutenant governor, I don't think. Well, if you're from a bigger county, you know, like where yeah. Holly on the Democrat is like Wake County, you know, if, if that's your base versus, you know, Van Dyne out in the, in the mountains, is that enough of a base that'll come for you or Beasley? Um, and then does, you know, on the Republican side, does Mark Johnson have enough support, you know, as superintendent that um, Republicans will want him in the, you know, lieutenant governor's house? I, I don't know. It depends on if they if they feel like coming out on that day. If it's raining, actually depends. Like, you know, we have like the, you know, extra day of early voting or original extra day of early voting was restored this past session. So, um, I guess we'd have to look at early voting turnout number. I mean, it's there. I don't think it's like overwhelmingly like, wow, look at all these people. Yeah, I hadn't seen any big trends out of the early voting numbers uh, so far. I don't know if anyone's really done a deep dive yet. But What I've seen, um, I think it was uh, Catawba College professor Michael Bitzer, a uh, friend of the paper. Uh, we often yeah. quote him in articles. Frequent source. <laughs> Um, (laughs) He had tweeted out some stats, and I I think it showed, and I mean, this wasn't too surprising, but uh, early voting so far has been just heavily, heavily dominated by older voters. I think the the median age of people who have early voted so far was in, like, the late 50s or early 60s. but that's everyone who votes anyway, always. Right, so... Younger voters, I mean, younger eligible voters don't actually go vote. Right, which is a little bit of, you know, I think what makes some people skeptical of the Bernie Sanders wave and, you know, you know, all the other more progressive candidates in those down ballot mm-hmm. races is that, you know, yeah, they have a lot of enthusiasm among pe- young people, but in the end, do young people actually get out and cast a ballot? Do 25-year-olds care who, you know, is lieutenant governor? Do they know that there's a lieutenant governor, you know? Well, yeah. Probably not. Watching the news, Guilford County's been busting their kids out to vote. So the high schoolers who can vote, that's been very controversial there. So they're trying to mm. get the young vote out. Yeah. Are they telling them what, what how to do it when they get there? Like, you what should vote I these saw people? Is they swear or... they are not. Yeah. <laughs> that has been part of the scandal. Yeah, I'm sure people are <laughs> suspicious about that. And whether they, you know, they even have like a program to like get the kids educated about Lieutenant Governor or Commissioner of Labor and the other things that, that they get to decide on. Yeah, like did they did they educate them on? So I feel like I didn't get a very good state politics course. Like there was a civics class mm-hmm. and a U.S. government class that I had to take in high school, but nothing told me about like how did you know? I grew up in Virginia. How did the state of Virginia? I'm um, also a product. I'm also a product of Virginia Schools, Fairfax County, which is on all these lists of you know having such a great education <laughs> program. So is Daniel, <laughs> right? Yeah. Also in Fairfax County. Um, I remember taking a government class and like my big takeaway from it was that our field trip, because for as much money as Fairfax County has, they didn't have money for field trips somehow. Um, but our field trip was just driving, you know, 15 minutes down the road to their country's capital and sitting in on like sessions of Congress and a committee hearing. I remember actually being really excited. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember t- field trips to Washington from Charlottesville, which is two hours away. But zero field trips to Richmond, the capital of Virginia, which was one hour away. So well, look at you with all your money it. for your long, long burning field trips. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia is much, uh, much stingier. I never went to either. Like we did sort of field trips. Holocaust Museum, but that has nothing to do with government. So. Yeah, we didn't see any of the museums. Like, but when I lived in Georgia, in Augusta, Georgia, where it was at Columbia County, which is, does not have a lot of money, we like went to Okefenokee Swamp in the. Columbia Zoo on field trips, so who knows how uh, education funding for field trips is <laughs> yeah. distributed. 
But, but anyway, you know, it can leave an impression and make yeah. someone a political reporter. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, that makes me wonder, like, as we're talking about these down-ballot primaries, you know, Commissioner of Labor is one, and mm-hmm. what percentage of North Carolina thinks that that is a job that involves putting your face in the elevators, because that's really all we see of it. Like, I, I think a lot of people probably think, oh, Sheree Berry, that's that's the elevator inspector with her, you know, smiling face and photographed <laughs> well, in every elevator obviously in the it was a good idea for her to do that, right? Yeah. Because now everybody, you know. Yeah, and I was trying, I was kind of struggling when I wrote the story about the uh, Republican primary for that race, which has uh, three candidates in it, um, because I think the question most people probably watching that race has is, well, what are these people going to do about the elevator photos? But I was also trying to convey, hey, you know, this office does important stuff about, um, you know, wage theft and workers' rights and workplace safety that doesn't get nearly as much attention. Uh, but to answer that question, for those who didn't read that story, uh, most of the candidates seem like they're at least leaving the option open with one, at least one of them, uh, State Rep. Josh Dobson, uh, coming straight out and saying, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, it's helped educate people that this office exists, so why wouldn't I put my face in the elevator? Yeah, I mean, elevator inspections are certainly less than 1% of what the Labor Commissioner does, I would say. Yeah, um, but certainly the most uh, high profile, thanks to the, the placards, which yeah. you, know, you don't see in other states. Well, and, it, I mean, it's... It's a pretty important job. I mean, like you're saying, you know, handling all these disputes between workers and employees or, or employers. Um, you know, some of the some of the council of state offices you look at and kind of wonder, you know, like what were our forefathers thinking when they made this? Yeah, office? I mean, Danielle, you wrote about Secretary of State, and that's really hard to like come up with like a cogent what the candidates want because yeah. the office itself is so nonpartisan in what it does with, you know, lobbying registrations and business registrations, but the candidates are trying to make it exciting, I guess. Uh, oh God, why am I blanking on what Secretary of State, which candidates those <laughs> That was were? UC Sykes Thank and you. Uh, Chad something and... Um, yeah. yeah. And C. Marshall. Yeah, yeah no. The Paglia, yeah. La Paglia. <laughs> the person whose name rose with yours. Yeah, sorry. I am in Foxland if y'all read the insider today. Anyways, um, yeah, no, I felt like we were getting a lot about their um basically Elaine Marshall being pro hiring illegal immigrants, for lack of a better word. Um so to she be wasn't notaries. hiring them because she like credentials them essentially. But. Yeah, so um there's been some back and forth on that, and that controversy came up in the 2016 election and basically has been dropped, I'm pretty sure, since then. And then they're trying to bring it back to light now in this election. Um, and if they're not talking about that, they're talking about religion, which doesn't really fit their job either. So. You can bring up whatever. My story yep. that like should be posting shortly on the Agriculture Commissioner uh, primary, which is uh, all Democrats. Um, two out of three of them talked to me about Medicaid expansion. Didn't ask about Medicaid expansion. <laughs> what does that have to do with yeah, agriculture? Uh, the deciding vote on well, that it could if you're talking about, well, I mean, <laughs> urban-rural divide and somehow, yeah. So, I mean, but again, some of that is they're running in a primary and they want, you know, within their party to, you know, support the, the party line. So, yeah, I mean, every, every race is about whatever they want to try to amplify, really. Yeah. And, um, speaking of, you had mentioned Josh Dobson for, for labor commissioner. The primary will also determine the future of people in the General Assembly. You know, so Dobson had, had been in the House. So if he makes it through, um, you know, the labor primary, you know, you could see where he ends up going political wise. 
Others that, you know, Holly Grange is running against, I mean, she's way the underdog compared to Dan Forrest um, running for governor in the Republican primary. So she doesn't make it through. She's, you know, this is just the lame duck term, you know, in the House and she's a state representative. And I feel like there's more, oh, uh, Representative Holly, who's the Democratic lieutenant governor primary. Uh, a lot so of people are really taking a bet here. Yeah. Van Dyne, you know, and, and state Senate and Beasley, you know, and House. So really this kind of can be, I mean, politics is never ending, but can, you know, for this calendar year anyway, um, be the primary day can be the end of their um, career past um you know, whenever they, they I guess, yeah, it's, it's the attracted year, these sort they switch of, out. Yeah. It's attracted these sort of rising stars in the legislature who want to move up politically, mm-hmm. but there's so many of them running in these crowded primaries that they can't all move up. Uh, so some of them will, right. and some of them will, you know, at least be out of office for two years. Well, Mark Johnson is, you know, a state superintendent. If he doesn't make it through, you know, the Republican lieutenant governor primary, that's it, you know, so... Um, yeah, we got a lot of people that are going to be out of the running more than just... Um, what they're running for in the primary. Yeah, right? and the, you know what that, that means in a lot of these uh, legislative safe seats is essentially a primary between two newcomers or more than two newcomers in some cases, mm-hmm. um, who will essentially be guaranteed a seat or almost guaranteed uh, because their district is so far to the left or so far to the right, um, and essentially determines who the new representative is for a senator is for a certain well, uh, Durham, part of North Carolina. Durham will see that with. Um, Freelon and Murdoch and Ellis running for McKissick seat. Um, the primary will determine the uh, not just the general, but uh, Mickey Mashaw, the former House member, as we've talked about in previous Domecasts, has already said that he'll step down and the party will appoint whoever the primary winner is. So that'll be a new person before spring session and you know on April 28th. So we'll have at least one one person different, you know, in the or two, I guess, with um, um, them passing away and, and if they point some yeah and i think overall it was you know between people running for higher office and people stepping down it was I, my list was like 20 or 25 members of the legislature who will not be back next year so there will be a lot of new faces and you know i think a lot of them are going to be decided in this primary without a whole lot of vetting like i just realized earlier that my drive in that there's a competitive race for yvonne holly's seat since she's running for lieutenant governor and mm-hmm. i well, I'm going to look into those candidates and, you know, one of us will write something before the primary, but it's not a race that's really attracted a lot of energy aside from people putting up signs on Newburn Avenue that I see when I'm driving to work every day. It'll be a different vibe when the legislature comes back, which I miss yeah. them a little bit. I miss the building a little bit. I'll yeah, I haven't been there in a while and, you know, feels like a part of me. <laughs> what, what do we call it? The... Um... The uh, basement the garage, no, the garage of accountability. The basement That's press room, yeah. Um, well, there's, I guess, more or less our preview of what could happen. Um, and we'll find out. That's the fun of covering elections is that all the stuff we've said, we could be totally wrong and we have no idea because the voters will surprise us and we'll find out who wins on Super Tuesday, both at the presidential level. But really, I mean, for us and probably most of y'all listening, um, that's more interesting at the at the state level, you know, because yeah, I, we I feel like have we'll contact. have some. I'm almost guaranteeing you that there will be some somebody who wins a primary, particularly one of these really crowded ones, and you're like, wait, who, why, what's yeah. the rationale behind that? Hey, there's a new story to do. So yeah, so that mm-hmm. that'll be you know probably what we talk about next week after the uh, votes come down. So speaking of votes, what were our, uh, yeah, who's our see. headliner of the week winner um, last week? So if you recall. <laughs> Uh, the choices were State Representative Linda Johnson, who uh, passed away um, suddenly in office um, after a battle, I think, with cancer. 
uh, Michael Bloomberg, who is you know dumping all this money on North Carolina and other states for his presidential bid, illicit blueberries that had come up as a yeah. topic in the uh, trial of um, Greg Lindbergh, the political donor, and finally Amy Klobuchar, who uh, is going to be coming here, I think actually this week, um, yep, but she just launched twice. her campaign uh, and got really active on the ground. I even had some, some new staff today. Um, so out of those, let's see who won. Um Illicit Blueberries got 40%, yeah. followed by Representative Linda Johnson at 30 Michael Bloomberg at 20 and Amy Klobuchar at 10%. Um, oddly round numbers. How could we, you not vote for yeah. Illicit Blueberries? Yeah. So remember, the way to vote in that is a Twitter poll, and if you follow at Under the Dome, our, um, our News and Observer political Twitter account, um, that's where you'll see it with our as soon as we post the... Um, our weekly podcast with the poll and you can vote yourself and then determine who the winners are. So I guess after this we'll be back with the new headliner of the week. Alright, and welcome back. Now we're here for our headliner of the week. Danielle, who do you have? I'm going to go with the long list of people running so long, in fact, that I couldn't even right off the top of my head think Secretary of State's names without being prompted. So that is going to be leading up to the primary, my thought process, which takes us back to this entire episode. A huge field of candidates in yeah, the primary. Yeah, so even if you do all your research, you probably should take a cheat sheet for polls <laughs> with you. Otherwise, you're going to blank on the names of the people you want right. by the time you get your ballot. All right, Daniel. Will, what do you have? Uh, I'm going with the snowstorm uh, that gave a lot of people a day or two off last Thursday and Friday. It had been over a year since we had snow in Raleigh, and that followed, I I believe it was the warmest January ever, which I think was yet, you know, another warmest January ever before that. Um, And, but even despite all these global warming trends, we still did get some snow finally. Did you play in the snow? Uh, My dog did. She had a lot of fun playing in the snow. My dog also played in the Carlton snow. Carlton and I were here, and I didn't see the two of you. Journalism <laughs> <laughs> uh, doesn't take a snow, snow day, I've heard, so I showed up. Slippery <laughs> <laughs> writing that egg story. So mine will be, uh, my headliner will be endorsements, or local endorsements of um, races way outside the local field. Uh, we had a whole slew of those last week with Bernie Sanders endorsers and Elizabeth Warren endorsers and Mike Bloomberg endorsers. And we even have some Pete Buttigieg endorsers and a Klobuchar endorser. And really, when you have trouble, maybe everyone has the same policy and you don't really have a strong opinion on them either way. Maybe your favorite local elected official saying you should vote for so-and-so will help sway them. I assume that's part of the point of them making those endorsements. So that's my vote. Endorsements. All right, I am going with um, fox hunting, uh, which was in the news if you read The Insider because of uh, Danielle's fine story that uh, that ran today about a facility in Scotland County owned by the state. Did y'all know that North Carolina owns a fox hunting facility? This was completely news to me. Fox trial facility. Fox trial specifically. (laughs) We were learning a lot about um, how to hunt foxes with horses last week because neither of us knew a whole lot. What words do they say when they... Tally-ho <laughs> and park. Park, yeah. That's how they start the hunt. Uh, sometimes they have, like, bugles from the looks of it, from the pictures I saw. Anyway. Um, so it's a very true to, like... Cartoons. Cartoons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They said that in an interview. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so apparently the Wildlife Resources Commission owns a facility in Scotland County that was used for this. They've had it since the 70s, uh, about a six-acre property, they are now trying to get rid of it because no one has used it since 2001. Apparently, fox hunting, not a cool thing to do in Scotland County anymore. Or um, 
And the facility is apparently needing costly repairs. So instead of uh, repairing it, they are going to give it back to the family that originally donated the property. So no more state-run fox hunting sure options the, in North Carolina. The foxes will appreciate yeah. that. I'm sure the foxes will be happy that they are no longer hunted for sport. So. In Scotland County. In Scotland County, anyway. <laughs> I hear there's some privately run places in, like, Durham County and others when I was Googling this that are still I, alive I cannot well. see the Durham crowd, like, Well, northern Durham County animals. from the look of it. or something. <laughs> Rock and Ham would do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so vote in our Twitter poll at Under the Dome, and we'll, of course, retweet it all. So... Thanks for listening. Uh, this is Don Vaughn for Colin Campbell, Daniel Battaglia, Will Doran. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.